Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Metabolic Classroom a nutrition and lifestyle podcast focused on the truth behind why we get sick and fat. What you're about to hear was taken from a live broadcast streamed on InsulinIQ.com. The Metabolic Classroom is brought to you by InsulinIQ and by Health Code Meal Replacement Shakes. Episode 17, For Heart Health, Fat Matters. We've been told for decades that saturated fats cause plaques that block blood vessels. What if that idea is just wrong? Dr. Bickman and the Insulin IQ team review the simple truths now revealed by science. Yep. In fact, let's just get right to it. It's wrong. And and uh, this is maybe a shock to some, maybe everyone who's listening. Given how much people talk and obsess over heart disease, and rightly so, it's the number one killer you think we would know exactly how an atherosclerotic plaque forms in the first place, but we don't. So the focus on the plaque comes from the the fact that around the heart and what is feeding the heart, it's blood, the the, uh, the blood that the heart needs for all the heart muscle in order to continue to contract and relax all the time. It needs a lot of blood and those coronary arteries can become blocked with plaques or what's called an atheroma or an atherosclerotic plaque. And we know some of the composition of those plaques. We know that there are some fats in there. We know that there are a lot of these things called foam cells, which I will come back to in a great deal because they are likely very important in this process. But despite knowing the composition of these plaques, we don't exactly know what's happening. So that needs to be disclosed right at the forefront of the conversation. Anyone who's speaking about the formation of a plaque is speculating. And if you are hearing someone who's speaking about the formation of a plaque in absolute terms, shut them off because they don't know. They're just speculating and they're speaking with a false authority. 
which is something I don't want to do. I, I want to be very cautious in speaking about this. So that's why I'm disclosing that up front. We know the composition of the plaque, and, and that has led some to erroneously conclude that they know all the process. Now, I'd mentioned these things called foam cells. Foam cells appear to be essential. They are always there at, at the site of the atherosclerotic plaque. And we think that they are contributing because they are, um, it, it really fits in very, very well together. It helps us bring a lot of these pieces together. And in some instances, actually physically bringing things together. We know that inflammation is a very big part of atherosclerosis. In fact, as much as people obsess over LDL cholesterol and they obsess over it as a marker of heart disease, which is something we've kind of touched on before, LDL is a terrible predictor of heart disease. C-reactive protein, which is a marker of inflammation, actually is a better predictor of heart disease. And, and it might be because of the foam cell. So very briefly, we have these things in, in our bodies called macrophages. Macrophages are kind of the prototypical or poster child immune cell. It's flowing, these are flowing through the blood and they can, they can go into tissues anywhere throughout the body. So you find macrophages all over the body, in the blood and out of the blood within tissues. In the wall of the blood vessels, what can happen is we have a, a, a macrophage that engulfs an LDL cholesterol. And as it's eating too many of these, it gets fat. And when you look at this fatty macrophage under a microscope, all these big pockets of fat in the macrophage look like air bubbles. In fact, it looks like it's foamy. It's a foamy cell. And that's why they call it a foam cell. So again, a foam cell is a fat macrophage. And as the macrophage is eating these LDL cholesterol molecules, it starts to secrete pro-inflammatory proteins or cytokines like C-reactive protein. So these foam cells appear to be an essential player in the process of, of an atheroma or an atherosclerotic plaque developing. Now that's all kind of background. Now the first study that I wanted to highlight in the metabolic classroom is a study published in 1979 by this legendary pair. And I do mean that. These guys are serious scientists, won the Nobel Prize, Brown and Goldstein. And at the time, they, uh, they were at the University of Texas, uh, San Antonio. And they, I think that's where they were. The, the name of this article is Binding Site on Macrophages that Mediates Uptake and Degradation and, and so on. It's published in the journal PNAS, again, 1979. What they found, the gist of it and why I'm touching on it, is that they would incubate macrophages with LDL cholesterol native LDL cholesterol. In other words, LDL cholesterol, that it was just innocent, normal LDL cholesterol. Indeed, most of the LDL cholesterol that the average person has flowing through the blood. And you couldn't make the macrophage eat or consume or engulf that LDL. They just would sit there and hang out together as good little buddies, you know, sitting at the bar. It was only when the LDL, mole um, the LDL molecule had been altered in some way, and I'll come to that more in a moment, then the macrophage sensed that altered LDL as a problem and engulfed it. So there has to be something that happens to the LDL, not the LDL alone that's the problem. Something must happen to it. So that's sort of the first takeaway. One of the key things that happens to it is that it gets oxidized. 
Now, the, the next article that I would refer to, and we have links to these, is an article published in 98, and, the, and this is in the journal Cell, and the name of the um, manuscript is uh, Oxidized LDL Regulates Macrophage Gene Expression, etc. And what they found was that when, mac when LDL had these bioactive lipids in it, then the macrophage would consume it. And uh, the bioactive lipids in particular were these molecules called 9 and 13 HODE, H-O-D-E. 9 HODE and 13 HODE. Now that, this sounds, someone's thinking, oh, Bickman, you're getting, Ben, you're getting way too complex. So I don't, I don't mean to be, but briefly, LDL is a molecule that's basically like a bus that's just carrying around a bunch of fats. And the composition of those fats or the, the type of fats appear to be problematic. And if some of those fats are oxidized, then that LDL molecule carrying those oxidized fats, it now gets sort of flagged as problematic and the macrophage will try to get rid of it. It's because oxidized lipids are very dangerous or also they're referred to as lipid peroxides. They can move through cells and move through membranes and create oxidative stress anywhere throughout the body, including in the mitochondria, and including in the nuclei, you know, which could perhaps result in mutations to genes. So we have these LDL molecules that get enriched with these oxidized lipids, 9-HODE and 13-HODE, and now the macrophages will greedily start engulfing these LDL molecules. It's almost like the macrophage knows this oxidized LDL is so dangerous, and the macrophage's job is to clean up dangerous stuff it is thinking, I'm going to take this for the team. I'm going to engulf these oxidized lipids. It's going to hurt me, but it'll be better than the alternative. And so the macrophage sort of becomes the hero in this sense. But as a person has too much of these oxidized LDLs, the macrophage is losing the war. And so you have more and more macrophages accumulating in an area, more and more oxidized LDL. And we'll come back to how that happens, the oxidized LDL. But then we have what is likely the formation of the core of the plaque. And it's this, this accumulation of these LDL molecules, oxidized LDL, and these foam cells or these macrophages that keep eating it. Now, what's so important about this now, and everything I've been touching on so far is, is very interventional mechanistic data. We know these things. Here's the first bit of evidence where it's more um, speculative. There's, uh, in 1998, this um, manuscript has the title Strong Increase in Hydroxy Fatty Acids, etc. They found that people with confirmed atherosclerosis had up to 100 times more of these oxidized LDL molecules. So these LDL molecules that had these, this 9-hode and 13-hode. So they had 100 times more of this oxidized LDL than people, up to 100 times more than people without atherosclerosis. And remember, these are people with confirmed atherosclerosis. And importantly, these molecules, 9-HODE and 13-HODE, which appear to be the most reactive of all the oxidative, oxidized lipids and appear to be essential in a macrophage pulling in um, this oxidized LDL molecule, they are derived from one particular type of fat. This is an omega-6 polyunsaturated fat called linoleic acid. You do not get these oxidized lipids from saturated fats. 
you do not get these oxidized lipids from monounsaturated fats, which is what most of the natural fats in the human diet consist of. Overwhelmingly, when you look at ancestral fats coming from animal fats and fruit fats, fruit fats being coconuts, avocados, olives for the most part, they are almost totally uh, saturated and monounsaturated fats. In this, so this omega-6 polyunsaturated fat, linoleic acid, it, it exists in nature, but to very, very low levels. We now eat over 50,000 times more of it than we did 100 years ago because it is in every processed food. And that is things like soybean oil, canola oil, corn oil, the so-called vegetable oils. So again, back to the data here. They, they, this study, the next study, and this was published in 2012, and the lead author is Christopher Ramsden at the National Institutes of Health, and the title is Lowering Dietary Linoleic Acid. They actually took people and had them change their diet to cut out, to cut back on linoleic acid, this omega-6 polyunsaturated fat. And they found that the levels of 9-hode and 13-hode, including in the LDL, dropped significantly. So they could directly lower the levels of, of these very reactive oxidized lipids. Importantly, they didn't do it by cutting back saturated fat because saturated fats don't contribute to these. So I'm sort of making the case here that our view on dietary fat has been totally wrong. We vilified saturated fat because saturated fat can, in some instances, increase LDL. But remember, LDL isn't the problem. It's a problem when the LDL is oxidized or it has these oxidized lipids that are almost entirely derived from linoleic acid, which is a polyunsaturated fat. Now, let's continue a little more with the actual mechanistic studies as I'm kind of nearing the end of this topic. There are two studies that I think are very compelling because it is as close as we can come to an actual clinical study, taking people, splitting them up into two groups. And that's what these two studies did. And they followed them for years. So this is incredibly uncommon. It, it would not be done again in, in today, in that nowadays, partly because you couldn't get ethical approval for it like they were able to back then in the, in the 60s, which is where these data um, kind of originate from, and they were just sort of rediscovered. So they took people into two groups. One, you eat saturated fat as your primary fat. The other, you eat this more polyunsaturated fats from these vegetable oils, so-called. And so the first of these two studies is published in 2016, but it was a reanalysis of data from decades ago, from the 60s. Um, both of these are. The first is called a reevaluation of the traditional diet heart hypothesis. And the other one is um, uh, the uh, is the Sydney Heart Study, <clears throat> where it's entitled Use of Dietary Linoleic Acid for Secondary Prevention. Um, now, both of these, what they found was that they had significant groups of people, and they had the two groups, they split them up into the two groups that I just mentioned. One group eating more saturated fat, one group eating more polyunsaturated fat, mostly omega-6, linoleic acid. And guess who died the most? It was the group eating the higher amounts of linoleic acid. They had higher overall mortality, so actually died at a higher rate. And then in the Minnesota reanalysis data, they found that heart disease was the same. It wasn't heart disease that was killing them. But in the Sydney um, diet heart study, so this other kind of corresponding data set from Australia, they found that, in fact, 
death from heart disease was significantly higher. This is the closest we can come to addressing the concerns when people say, well, saturated fat will kill you. Our response can be no, because the closest studies we have, the two things we have that approach a clinical study, the Minnesota coronary experiment and the Sydney diet heart study, absolutely refute that hypothesis, which is why it wasn't published at the time. It took a reanalysis of old data that the scientists found too inconvenient in order to really find the truth of it, which was that the group eating more saturated fat lived longer, had lower mortality, and in fact, lower heart disease deaths than the group eating more linoleic acid. And then <clears throat> one last um, comment on this was a published study just from uh, a couple, two weeks ago in the British Medical Journal. And I, uh, we will make sure this link gets in there because I wasn't intending on describing it. I just had to because the data is coming still in real time. This is absolutely a correlational study. So it's just surveys. Um, in this instance, it was from 21 countries involving tens of thousands of people. And they found that one of the strongest links to heart disease death and, and, and an overall death was eating refined grains. Now that brings in a new angle here. I would only mention that because that further takes the attention away from saturated fat. They didn't find meat was the problem in this correlational study. It was the consumption of refined grains. And this is um, coming more from what's called the PURE study, P-U-R-E, that anyone can look up and read this. So the old paradigm, I guess to kind of wrap this up, the old paradigm that saturated fat will kill you from heart disease is based on correlational studies. This idea that you go into countries and just give people questionnaires and just sort of look 10 years later and see who died from what based on the questionnaires of what they were eating. There are tremendous problems with that, um, including people being honest and including how you're accounting for different foods. But even if you only look at correlational data, more and more correlational data refutes that old those old conclusions from correlational data. So we can use correlational data to beat out or at least cancel out correlational data. And then as we tease through the mechanisms, as I've touched on with some of these manuscripts, and perhaps the only two clinical studies that have ever attempted to answer this question, the whole traditional dogmatic view of saturated fat and heart disease falls apart. And if fat matters, and I think it does, then it's much more likely to be a problem of polyunsaturated fats, specifically linoleic acid, the, the most primary omega-6 fat that is the likely culprit. And to those who think that they don't eat it, if you are eating the bulk of your foods from uh, refined foods that are coming from bags and boxes with barcodes, almost every processed food you have in the grocery store, then it is very likely that linoleic acid is the single most commonly consumed fat in your diet. Because in the United States, soybean oil is the number one consumed fat. Shortening, which is also enriched with these, um, seed, these industrial seed oils, is number two. And we don't need any more of our fat from beef now than we did 100 years ago uh, from, from, from these fatty meats. And so even there, the correlation starts to fall apart. And that's the lesson. That's the metabolic classroom. So fat matters when it comes to heart health, absolutely, but not the way most people think. Fantastic. Awesome. That's awesome, Ben. Wow.
Yeah, good. Well, let's spread the word. Everyone listening, spread the word. Yeah, spread Share the word. Share these studies right. with your friends and educate them. Yeah. Well, Ben, Ben, it was interesting. When I first got into the space, you know, 10 years ago, the first thing I heard about was Dr. Atkins, you know, dying of heart disease. And, mm-hmm. and I thought that was true. And that is not true. It's not true. It's a myth. That poor guy yeah. was so vilified. You know, yeah. it, unfortunately, one of the reasons <clears throat> the, the views on saturated fat persist is that there's a disconnect between the, 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 the disciplines where you have individuals that are biochemistry professors and they understand the properties of fat being that saturated fat will stack together very nicely in, in, in nature, just pure saturated fat these triglycerides will store together very, very well, stack together. And so you have a solid fat as opposed to these unsaturated fats don't stack together. And so they're a liquid at room temperature or even body temperature. And so they will, of course, at body temperature, the saturated fats are also liquid, but, but they will say, I, I've heard very intelligent professors in biochemistry say, this is why we don't eat saturated fat because the saturated fat will stack up and create the atherosclerotic plaque. That is absolute bonkers. We know, and so the disconnect is you have a biochemist speaking as if he or she is a physiologist. And the physiologist, in contrast, might not know some of the details because they don't understand lipid biology. They're not biochemists. And so you have to be able to look at atherosclerosis as it's sort of this hybrid um, uh, discipline in understanding the nature of lipids, not, but not just the chemistry of the lipid, but also the, in the context of, of human physiology. So the old idea that the saturated fats are stacking up and that's the basis of the plaque, that is absolutely fundamentally incorrect. Hmm. So I, I have a couple questions. Um, so your linoleic acid, if that is prevalent in packaged food, when we eat out, that's the kind of fat we're probably getting at restaurants. Um, we talk about, you know, consuming fat from animals and from fruits as being the healthy, healthy sources. But this isn't really like the, the first couple studies you brought up. This isn't really an insulin issue. This is all about quality of fat, right? Yeah, yeah. So I didn't, on purpose, I didn't really bring up insulin. Um, but I would say uh, insulin resistance is a better predictor of heart disease than LDL is. In fact, may, that might be a topic for another time. Yeah. Insulin also directly stimulates the production of cholesterol in blood vessel walls where, where you wouldn't have to say have LDL come and drop off the cholesterol. Insulin is directly stimulating that, uh, that production of and perhaps accumulation of cholesterol. Can you, can you speak a little to the idea that linoleic is harder to get rid of once in our body? Do you know? Yeah, um, uh, that wouldn't necessarily be true. The body does have a pathway of metabolizing linoleic acid. And we do know that the more linoleic acid you eat, the more you do accumulate it in your fat cells. But just like you would any long chain fat, um, the body can burn linoleic acid and in other polyunsaturated fats and monounsaturated fats and of course, saturated fats, which the body burns perfectly well. Um, so the idea that they're harder to get rid of, I don't think that's justified. Um, it will have a turnover rate like essentially any fat would, but when it comes to the fat cell and and the rate at which the body burns fat, the brain is a bit of an exception, but in general, the longer the fatty acid, uh, the, the less inclined the body is to burn it. 
the shorter the fat, the more inclined. So when you get to a fat that's 18 carbons, which is pretty long, which is what linoleic acid is, you know, it's not going to be burned as readily as say palmitate or getting shorter and shorter. Okay. Did you have a second huh. question, Carly? That, those were it. Okay. Hey, hey Jack, I yeah. got a question, yeah. Jack. Um, this might be going down a different hole, but uh, at Instant IQ, we talk about not eating foods from a box in a bag. Um, ben, can you, can you talk about the process of uh, processed meats versus getting meats from their, you know, not mm. processed, you know, just getting a steak yeah. and sticking it on the grill yeah. and firing it yeah. up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So importantly, when it comes to eating um, prepared foods, um, I, I, my view on omega six is then I'll answer the question. Omega six appears to be essential though. So lest anyone think I'm totally vilifying it as it happens so often, something is there and it's there for a reason, which is why you do find linoleic acid in every animal fat and probably to trace amounts in virtually every fruit fat, but definitely every animal sourced fat, you're going to have some linoleic acid. You'll also have um, some alpha linolenic and DHA and EPA, which are the omega-3 polyunsaturated fats. Those are essential fats. Unfortunately, we've tipped the scales way too far. Our best guess is that a traditional or ancestral human diet had a ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 of around three to one. So we were, on average, our ancestors would be eating three times more linoleic acid than they would, or omega-6 than they would omega-3. And that appeared to be perfectly healthy and natural. We are now at a point of 20 to one, if not even higher. So we've blown that proportion out wildly. I would say <clears throat> the closer you can get to kind of that one-to-one -one range, which incidentally, coincidentally is what we have in the health code shake, um, then the better off you're going to be because omega-3 and omega-6s tend to compete for the same metabolic pathways. And so if you've skewed your omega-6 way too high, what you run the risk of doing is, is um, almost counteracting the omega-3s that you're eating, this other essential fat. So that's part of the problem with the ratio that's so skewed. And I would encourage anyone to sort of keep that in mind when they are looking at you know, prepared foods. Now, when it comes to processed meat, which is so vilified, that is not going to be a problem if it's a problem at all. Very, very big if. That's based totally on correlational studies. And unfortunately, when you ask someone questions about processed meat, there are so there's so much nuance that's totally lost, including how they actually are counting processed meat, what processed meat is, is considered. They would say, well, you can eat like a big whole ham sandwich and those are deli cuts of ham and that's processed meat. And that whole thing would be counted as processed meat. And they would just sort of discount the bread, for example. And that's part of the problem with these correlational studies. So if, if processed meat truly is a problem, it's not a problem. And it's such a big if. I don't want anyone to think I'm actually endorsing that idea because I'm actually not. I'm very, very skeptical of that uh, association. If there is an association, it would have more to do with the preservatives, um, like the nitrates, for example, that are put in the meat. Um, rather than the fats and the proteins. So it wouldn't be the composition of the natural meat that is used to create that. It might be some of the other chemicals that are put in. And there is a little evidence to suggest that those chemicals are carcinogenic, but the idea that it's at the amounts anyone would be eating, is it actually carcinogenic in the body? That absolutely is 
something that is debated and ought to be debated because the evidence is, is just simply not clear. And, and many of those molecules that are put in are put in actually to fight other things like botulism and other pathogens that might tend to appear in meats um, or, or any other foods, frankly. So I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I'm okay with processed meat, but, but I confess in my home, if we can buy like, you know, deli cut meat that is nitrate or nitrite free, then, then we'll do so just because of the off chance that maybe there is something there. And so why not just get it a little cleaner if you can? Yeah, we get questions about that. And, and uh, meats often get lumped into one big giant category, <laughs> whether they're processed they or just, you know, it's a, a ribeye steak. Like they, they get yep. lumped. And, and anyone, they, you have to know, the audience, anyone listening now or later, you have to know that that is one of the biggest problems with correlational studies one, they can never prove causality. It's only coincidental. And two, you just don't know how they're actually accounting for things. Like that egg study yeah. that we touched on a few months ago, where they considered an egg anything that was even baked with eggs, which is like every cake and cracker and cookie you could think of. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> hey, we got a few questions about this topic. Let me fire a few off here. Mm -hmm. From Ray, if LDL is only a problem when, ox when oxidized, what are the benefits of LDL? Oh, I love that you asked that question. <laughs> so I love that you asked it because what I could have presented here in talking about heart disease is a totally different theory, which is that plaque formation actually starts because of an infection in the blood vessels. And there's significant evidence to support that. For example, when you go in and clear out the contents of a plaque and you culture those contents like in a laboratory setting, very, very often you end up detecting like 10 plus infectious bacteria that have been culturing and growing in that plaque. And so it's entirely, and I promised to get to that question, Ray, it's possible that LDL is in fact at the plaque, not because it's contributing to the heart disease, but it's attempting to clear out the infectious bacteria because one of LDL's actions in the body is to, is to bind bacteria and remove them from the body to take them to the liver and then to be passed from the liver into the intestines. So as much as people want to talk about LDL as this having a role in moving fats around and, and, and maybe uh, contributing to heart disease, you are, there's perhaps even more justification to talk about LDL only in the context of its role in immune function. So some of the, so to answer the question explicitly, some of the other benefits of LDL, one is to actually regulate immunity and to help clear the body of infectious pathogens, which is what it might be doing at the atheroma. And then second, LDL is essential in, in recovery and, 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 and healing, where it's moving cholesterol around the body and, it need, and the body needs it. The body needs cholesterol. Cells need cholesterol in order, well, to make a new cell or to repair a cell, whatever the case may be. So LDL is very much a part of immunity and healing. Right. Hope that helps, Ray. Um, someone on our website just asked, are just the seed oils the problem or are seeds and nuts the problem too? Yeah, yeah. So I uh, very likely, I'm very confident saying it, it's just the oil. You, you really couldn't eat, and I don't think yeah. conceivably you could eat enough nuts to get to the point. It's almost like the same thing with fruit juice, you know, where you, you eat one orange but you would drink 10 
yeah. easily, you know, the juice from tannin. The same thing would go with nuts. It's these refined, and moreover, nuts have a different composition of fats. While they do certainly have some linoleic acid, they have a bunch of other fats as well. And you just don't get that with something like soybean oil in those refined oils where they're almost totally linoleic acid. Okay. Uh, from B, is it true that pork is more inflammatory in the body and should only be eaten in moderation? Is pork more inflammatory than other meats? I think she's asking. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know of any evidence that is actually, I know people speak about that with high authority. I don't know of evidence that has actually shown an inflammatory response to different meats, you know, where they have someone eat a serving of beef and then measure the inflammation, a serving of chicken and measure the inflammation or pork. I don't know that that's ever been done. If there's any truth to that idea, and there might be, I would say it's because pork can become more enriched with the fats that the animal is eating. So for example, if you're giving that pig uh, a lot of linoleic acid from say soybean oil or soybean husks and corn and stuff, then the fats do that, that, that pig being a, a monogastric and same with chicken, it, it does appear to accumulate those fats more readily than say a ruminant like an animal does like a cow or a goat. Mm. So if there's any truth to the idea that pork's more inflammatory, that could be why, but I don't even know if that premise is, is right in the first place. Okay. Uh, from Nick, can omega-3s get oxidized? Yes, they can. Yep, um, but they don't, they don't do it like linoleic acid does, but that's a very good question. Omega-3s can get oxidized. Okay. Uh, from Carolyn, so Ben, are you saying not to worry about high LDL numbers? Mine have shot up since doing low carb, high fat. Is there a test to see if LDL is being oxidized? There is in fact a test you can do. Um, you can do an ox LDL or oxidized LDL test clinically. This is more and more commonly available. Um, of course, you know, I'm not ever giving anyone a clean bill of health or not because I'm not their doctor. I'm not their physician. Um, but when I, uh, hear about someone who has high LDL and they have low triglycerides and high HDL. In other words, high LDL in the midst of a, of a very low triglyceride to HDL ratio. My sentiment is often congratulatory. I say that's wonderful yeah. because maybe, in fact, have we talked about this in a different classroom? LDL is a sign of longevity. Um, the longest lived people tend to have the highest cholesterol, including LDL. LDL is protective against mental illness. It's cholesterol is in general and, and protective against infections and blood-based cancers. So my comment again, if it's high LDL, but in the context of low triglyceride to HDL ratio, then you're probably going to live a long, healthy life. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, any other any other comments uh, from the team here, from the panel, with regards to this topic? If not, we're going to take a few other questions. Just glad we're, we're covering in. it. Yeah, good one. Right. Yeah, it's, we, I'm glad, too. We may have to cover other aspects of this same thing, because we, we certainly get, it certainly gets talked about a lot. Uh, and, and Jack, I, Dr. Bray talked about this yesterday. If you are concerned about your heart health, obviously, you know, go to your physician, and they can order a calcium score, and that, yeah. that's, that's a good way to look at your heart health because my cholesterol is really elevated above 300. And uh, so I would, had a calcium score done and it was zero. I have and no plaque in my arteries. Before everybody goes and orders that, one thing I think that I have heard about those is that if you're under 40, 
it's not going to do a good job at showing you much data because your plaques are less stiff or whatever. Have you guys heard that? Yeah. Yeah. So you can have plaques that aren't calcified. Yeah. Um, and that, and that wouldn't detect it. So it could be a soft plaque. Um, but yeah, but never to Rich's point, there's, there is good evidence to show that looking at coronary artery, artery calcium is a very, very good predictor of heart disease because that's when that's, that's like the rubber meets the road. That's what LDL is only attempting to determine or to, to predict. And so a CAC score, well, to Carly's point, it won't get everything, but especially as you start to get older, then it is um, pretty accurate at telling you the state of your blood vessels. And I'm pretty damn old, Ben. So yeah. there's a great, there's a great documentary. <laughs> hey, you still actually. act like a 15 year old, Rich. So <laughs> That's right, right. Baby. <laughs> there's a great documentary that looks at the production, the uh, invention of that test, the calcium score and stents, which came out at the same time and stents won over, which is why most people don't know about the calcium test because obviously there's more money in stents. So it was oh. a good documentary. What was this? What's the name which, of it? Is it Widowmaker? Maybe, yeah. That, that could be it. Day. I haven't watched it in years, but. Mm. Thank you for listening to the Metabolic Classroom. This podcast is brought to you by Insulin IQ, nutrition and lifestyle coaching for insulin control and better health. Learn more at insuliniq.com. And by Health Code, the world's healthiest and most delicious meal replacement shake. Learn more at Get Health, that's G-E-T-H-L-T-H dot com. Find us on Facebook and YouTube at Insulin IQ. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.